the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. They're one of the most mythological teams in baseball history. In 1969, the Miracle Mets rose from mediocrity after floundering for seven seasons to win the World Series. The team won 100 games that season. One of the integral pieces of the 1969 Mets was right fielder Art Shamsky. He finished the season hitting 300 with 14 home runs, both good for second on the team. As we gear up for spring training and the 2024 Major League season, we catch up with Shamsky, who still lives in New York, but also in Florida part of the year, to hear what he's up to these days. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper and, of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Art Shamsky is New York Mets royalty as part of their 1969 World Series winning team. Let's welcome him in now and talk some baseball. Art, it's an honor, sir. Welcome to the podcast. My my pleasure, Tim. Uh, It's always good to talk uh, about baseball spring training and of course, the 69 Mets uh, team that I'm, of course, a part of and uh, still talked about today. Oh, yeah. And we're definitely going to get into that a little bit later in the podcast. But before we get to the past, let's look at the future. The new baseball season's here. Spring training has arrived. It's one of my favorite times of year. It seems like when everything is right when with the world when spring training arrives, pitchers and catchers and everything that goes along with that. So, you know, let, let's talk about your Mets. I mean, last year they had this giant payroll Turned out to be a you know a big disappointment, unfortunately. So, uh, what should Mets fans expect heading into twenty twenty four? Well, always spring training is a time for optimism. Yeah, they had a tough year last year, a lot of injuries, and and um, you know expectations were very high this year. I think expectations might be a little bit lower, so it might be a, a good thing in the long run. But you know, spring training is always a time for optimism, and even the worst teams. Uh, uh, can look at a new season, and you never know what's going to happen. It's witnessed by my team in 1969. We finished ninth, a half game out of last place the year before, and all of a sudden uh, we went on to uh, win a, a division, a pennant in the World Series. So anything can happen, but I know Mets fans were very disappointed last year, and and uh, and hopefully this year they'll bounce back. Um, um, you know, they've got the nucleus, but it's just, uh, you know, the key to, to baseball, I think, is always pitching and defense, and Against the, the hidden factor is injuries. You can never you know, plan on that kind of thing. So the teams that survive and win are teams that play good defense, have good pitching, and somehow are able to, to, to take care of uh, situations where there's injuries. And, and, and bench strength is very important. So in any case, spring training is always a time for optimism. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, you know, winning teams, certainly it helps to be hot at the right time, which is definitely what happened to the Mets in 69 is you guys definitely got hot there, especially late in the season. So, uh, you know, you, you still live up there in New York, but I also understand you live part of the year. Is it in Boca Raton? And, you know, with spring training starting, are we going to see you much down at Clover Park in Port St. Lucie, which is the stadium's right off I-95 there, exit 121. So uh, where are you now, Art, and what will you be up to? Well, I'm in Florida. I'm going to do uh, a couple things for the Mets this spring. I don't know if I'll be at actually at any games. I do have uh, a couple things uh, 
that they've asked me to do. Um, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, uh, Tim, that uh, the 1969 message you mentioned before are so special. It's, we're 55 years later and people are still talking about it. So I'm still involved in the game in that way. I do a lot of personal appearances and, and um, up in uh, New York City area, the tri-state area up there. And, of course, down here, I'm, I'm busy with a lot of Met fans that transplanted to New York, uh, from New York and other parts down to Florida. So I'm, I'm busy doing personal appearances. But but um, I'll be at spring training uh, at, at some point, but uh, there's no timetable or schedule right now where I'll be up in Port St. Lucie, except for a couple things I'm doing with the Mets, uh, not at the ballpark, but outside of the ballpark. All right. Well, you got to let us know when you're down there. I'll come out and visit you because I love going down to uh, to the park there. It's, I, I used to be the sports editor over the Treasure Coast newspapers there, so I used to do a lot of spring training coverage there as well. So uh, beautiful facility. They've renovated it in the last few years and uh, just, just a fun place to go see spring training baseball. Do you think you'll get down to the other venues down there? You've got Roger Dean Stadium, which is a little bit further south from you. That's where the Marlins and Cardinals play. And you also have Cacti Park, the newer one that has the Astros and Nationals. So do you check out other spring training when you're down that way? Yes, on, on occasion I do. I have uh, the people that want me to spend some time with them, uh, you know, the, the go to breakfasts or lunches or dinners. And in the meantime, we'll, or can meet at the ballpark. I do that uh, as uh, making personal appearances. So that that uh, most of the time it's up at the the Mets situation up in Port St. Lucie. But I do occasionally go to some other other venues. And you know I love being around fans and talking baseball. And uh, you know it's it's it, it's still a great sport. Uh, I've got so many fond memories of my time. I came over from the Cincinnati Reds uh, before I joined the Mets and have great uh, memories of teammates and, and players I came up with in the big leagues and then. With the Mets, of course, uh, that great team in 1969. You know, you mentioned um, that we weren't even in the mix until middle of the summer. You're right. We were still nine games out of first place in August. That was the first year of division play. We were behind the Chicago Cubs, and all of a sudden we put it together and uh, you know, won that division and won the pennant, uh, beat a terrific Atlanta Braves team. And then, of course, we, we beat an outstanding Baltimore Orioles team in the World Series who had won 108 games that year so. Um, uh, it was a great time for me. Um, you know, it's interesting. I played 13 years and nobody ever wants to talk about the other 12 for all intents and purposes. It's always about 1969. So, uh, I guess to answer your question, I do meet people down here who want me to spend some time with them talking baseball and spring training is a wonderful time because the players are kind of not on, on, a, a, on guard as much as they are during the season. It's a casual atmosphere. And I always felt that if, if, um, if I had a team made in, in coming down to spring training, it was a great time, five or six weeks of just getting in shape and getting ready for the season and being with friends. And if you were still tr- struggling to make a team, there's added pressure, but you're still down in Florida or Arizona, wherever you might be, and, and uh, with a chance to make a team and the opportunities are great. And now with more teams now in baseball than when I was playing, it's just, the opportunities are great. And of course, the money is outstanding. So um, it's a great time for baseball, as you mentioned right now. Yeah, being someone that grew up in Florida, though, I am sad that they've culled so many spring training facilities into just a couple of places around the state. I mean, you used to be able to just drive all over the state and do a tour of spring training. And now, you know, you've got three facilities for five teams in South Florida. And then you've got a couple over in Fort Myers and, you know, the the Braves left uh, 
left Orlando. So yeah, Tampa's the other area. So that is one thing I, I do miss about baseball art. And, you know, uh, I did want to ask you about this too, because there, you know, there's this survey that came out a few weeks back right before the Super Bowl, And it said that America's pa- national pastime is no longer baseball. It's football. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. I mean, for 150 years, it was baseball, but in the last decade or two, it's fallen out of favor, especially among young people. So what do you, he- what do you think of when you hear about that? Well, baseball is always going to be my sport. Uh, the, the, the game is great. Uh, um, it's a different game now than when I played. Uh, uh, we can talk forever about the changes they've made and the way the game has segued into more home runs and RBIs than, than as opposed to you know moving runners on and trying to win the close games by uh, making uh, you know doing whatever you have to do to get a run or two. But now the game is about the power and RBIs, but still a wonderful game. It teaches kids humility. It teaches your teamwork. It teaches you how to deal with adversity. If you get three hits out of 10 at bats, that's great. You're hitting 300, but you still made seven out. So you have to deal with that kind of uh, adversity. And so I think it's great for the kids growing up. And there's still a lot of kids playing the game of baseball. But, you know, whether it's um, people thinking football now is a national pastime, I, I don't know. Baseball has always been the wonderful sport for me that uh, – um, you can go to the ballpark and sit back and enjoy a, a wonderful afternoon or a wonderful evening with the family. But um, I don't know the answer, Tim. I just think that in my case, the baseball will always be the national pastime. And, and I, I started playing when I could barely walk. And and um, and for me to be able to, to say that football is now taking it over, it's only maybe in terms of um, maybe in terms of numbers of people or something. I, I don't even know. I, I, you're, you're talking to somebody that still thinks baseball is the greatest sport. I, I couldn't agree more. They've tried to speed up the game. They've tried to change the rules. And, you know, I, I hearken back to when I grew up watching in the 80s where Ricky Henderson was stealing bases and Andre Dawson was crushing home runs and, you know, Nolan Ryan was throwing 100 miles an hour when that wasn't so common. So, you know, I, I, I do look back on those times, the 80s and 90s, and kind of wish that baseball still looked a little bit more like that. But you know what? Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, things progress and, and people, ch- people change, but we still love baseball art and, you know, I'll, I'll definitely be out at the ballpark checking things out. So yeah, you're right. The game has changed. The, the rules are, are different in, in many respects than when I played it, that, uh, it, it, it's, it's not the same game that I grew up with and loved and, as a kid and then played in the minor leagues and our American Legion high school and minor leagues and then the big leagues. The, the, the tradition of the game has changed. When I started, they always used to have the opening day in Cincinnati when I came up with the Reds, and and um, this is an example. And now it's different. It's, it's you know, it, you can't deny the fact that it's all sports in, 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 in today's world is all about bottom line, making money. And so whatever changes sports make, it's really uh, you have to factor in what, what they can do. Balance the dudes balance their books with more making more money, and that's possibly why teams moved out of Florida. They were offered more money to move to other places, and it is what it is. But uh, we still love the game for what it is and what it how it affects us, and that'll never change. But the bottom line is, it's uh, it's all about money with the owners and the players. Yeah, well said. I couldn't agree more. 
you know, I was going to bring this up later in the podcast. I, I was going to start talking about the 69 Mets now, but since you mentioned your early time with the Reds, you know, you began your career in 1960 with the Geneva Redlegs of the New York Penn League. You were the roommate of Pete Rose, which as I was researching you, I, I just found that fascinating. What can you tell us about a young Pete Rose? Have you stayed in touch with him over the years? And uh, I, I got to know, you, you believe he, he belongs in the Hall of Fame, right? Yes, I do. Uh, we were we were teammates in 1960 and then another year in the minor leagues and, then, of course, in the big leagues before I got traded to the Mets from the Reds. And when you first saw Pete, he joined the team. That was the New York Penn League, and he came in June. Uh, he just graduated high school, and uh, this is the honest truth, and he would admit it. If you saw him, you would say, there's no way that he's going to make it to the next level. He really only could run hard to first base after a walk. They didn't know what position to play him. He, he wasn't a good hitter and he, and fielding again, they didn't know what position. So they kept him the next year and, and uh, they moved him to class D down in, uh, in uh, Tampa, Florida. And so he played two years of class D baseball. They moved me up to um, class B in Topeka, Kansas. And then we were again together in 1962 in Macon, Georgia. But one person they forget to mention on that first team not only was Pete my teammate, but Tony Perez was my teammate. And you have the two guys that um, have these great careers, and myself went on to have a big league career. But we were so bad as a team in 1960, we got the manager fired in the middle of the year. That's how bad we were. And uh, Pete went on to have this uh, unbelievable career, and Tony, of course, is in the Hall of Fame. But, um, you know, he was a, a great friend, and we still are friends today. Um, um, it's unfortunate that uh, what happened to him transpired with the with the gambling and everything else. I didn't never saw any of that when we were teammates and and uh, early in our, our our careers. And unfortunately, you know, he's uh, he's you know got that stigma with him. And I don't know if we'll ever see him in the Hall of Fame, but in our lifetime. But if you look at his records, check out his records in the National League, uh, switch hitting records, uh, hitting records, uh, more hit than anybody in the history of the game. Um, just by many, many National League records. It's hard to envision him not being in the Hall of Fame, but, but those were wonderful years for us. We, we became good friends and never saw anything about gambling or anything with him. It was always about baseball, and, and um, I've got fond memories of my time with the Cincinnati Reds. I was the pre-Big Red Machine era and uh, came up uh, with, with a lot of great players, including Johnny Bench and Tony and Pete. And I came to the Reds, they had Frank Robinson, Veda Pinson, and a lot of great players. So for me, being part of that era was terrific. And of course, coming over to the Mets changed my life. But um, I've got great memories of my years in baseball. Yeah, you know, the one thing is, is nowadays you have professional sports leagues pairing with gambling outlets. I mean, at this point, it feels like they're just keeping him out out of spite. So I, I would love to see that changed. I would love for the Hall of Fame voters to finally get it together. I mean, heck, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars in the area where, where I'm covering, uh, you know, where I'm the sports editor over, we, we have a receiver who was suspended four games last year for better. He was suspended the whole year, I'm sorry, for betting on football. And then he was back and played the entire season this year. So it's just, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate situation, but I feel like they need to change that and get him in there. Well, I don't, I don't know if we'll see it in our lifetime. Uh, you know, that uh, it, it's hard to, uh, to understand this. I think, I think uh, 20, 15, 20 years ago, if you mentioned Las Vegas or gambling, it was the, it was the, you, hard to believe that things have changed so much. And, and, um, you know, I, I feel bad for, for Pete, but, uh, 
but you know, it, uh, it is what it is. And again, I don't know if we'll see it in our lifetime, but I think maybe um, after he's gone, they'll somehow get him in the hall of fame. He certainly deserves it. In my, my, my thinking, um, uh, I'm, uh, you know, it was interesting if I can take a, a minute to I mean, just tell you when I, whenever I go out and speak, the, the questions I usually get is who is the tough, who is the toughest pitcher? Don't you wish you were making the money they're making now in the game? Um, should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? And how does it feel to have a dog nature after you and that program? Everybody loves Raymond. Those are my four questions that I usually get. And what's interesting about Pete is that 15, 20 years ago, when I talked to groups and, and the, most of the people were opposed to him getting into the Hall of Fame. That has changed. The needle has gone the other way. Most people want him to be in it. And, and uh, uh, you know, I just don't know what's going to happen in the next coming years. But you know, we're not getting any younger, and I just don't see him in his lifetime getting in the Hall of Fame. So you know, we'll see what happens. But, you know, gambling has taken over the, the industry, all the sports industry. You're going to see logos on uniforms and helmets with uh, uh, DraftKings, the Caesars Palace, the Sands Hotel, whatever it might be. Gambling has put so much money in all these sports, and the players are reaping the benefits of it, which they love. And the owners were reaping the benefits of it, but 15, 20 years ago it was a no-no. Now it's, it's par for the course. Yeah, definitely crazy to see the sea change on that. And, you know, Rob Manfred just uh, announced that he's going to be retiring in 2029. Maybe a great mic drop moment would be for him to, you know, help Pete Rose get in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, we don't even want to wait five more years. Let, let's get it done soon. But, you know, you mentioned in there, I, I love that you mentioned Shamsky and Shamsky too on Everybody Loves Raymond. And I know that you also made an appearance on the show. Which came first, the appearance on the show or the Bulldog? Uh, the bulldog came first. Uh, I I used to get calls from people saying, you know, they named the dog after you. And then they had the uh, pictures of me in my uniform up on the wall. And I, you know, somehow I, I say, you know, and you people used to say, are you getting money for this? And I said, no, I didn't even know about it. But it turns out that the producer of the show uh, was from um, Flushing, New York, which is right near uh, where it was City Field and is now in Shea Stadium is and and uh, he grew up a, a Mets fan and an Art Shamsky fan and that's how it all came about and when I was on the program I, I, I it was wonderful and I got a chance to meet everybody on this show and uh, Ray Romano was great and 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 uh, and everybody else was terrific and all big fans and and we really enjoyed it. I have great admiration for these people because they, they do these scenes. We rehearse for a couple of days. They do these scenes, and then they have to they get some laughs, and they have to do them over again to, to get everything right. But uh, I do have so many people that recognize me um, from that show. And it's interesting because if you go to my website, I have a, a photo of uh, a character photo of myself and the dog, Shamsky <laughs> and Shamsky, that, that's on my store page. And I get many people that want that uh, that photo it's a it's a it's a really kind of an artist rendition and they love it and i you know i sign it for them and people just just want to talk about that show and i have to answer questions all the time about it which i enjoy but it's kept me in the news you know and it's, it's just it's kept my name out there which is great well yeah it's it's one of those things that keep you in the popular zeitgeist kind of like keith hernandez 
in Seinfeld, you know, it makes your your name relevant for another generation. It makes people look you up. And if people in the audience are wondering what we're talking about, the show Everybody Loves Raymond, which ran in the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, it was the show that made Brad Garrett, you know, a big star. He played Ray's brother, Robert, and he had a bulldog named Shamsky, Art Shamsky. And uh, when that bulldog passed away, they brought in Shamsky too. So, uh, you know, it's a wonderful thing. It's great. to. It's kind of like, you know, I, I use this as an example too you know a lot of people don't necessarily know who paul newman is except for his uh you know his salad dressing so it keeps people's names out there so i think that's a great thing for you to help your legacy live on well you know it's interesting and i i get people coming up to me said you know they made the dog after you <laughs> and i said really it was that was 1999 and so all these years later uh, you know still i watch these reruns all, all the time no matter what kind of day i've had it it's been a tough day. I'll, I'll turn on everybody loves Raymond because the program is so funny and 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 it, the laughs are just great. And 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 when I that program with me on it, uh, but is is I get calls from people saying, you know, you're on right now. But <laughs> even during those day, other other shows, they bring the dog out and they talk my they mention my name and yeah, it's great. You know, things things like that just keep you keep you out there. And I get a chance to talk to people about it and they want to know about it. How was the dog? How was Brad? How was the Ray? How, you know, how was how was uh, the, the the mother and the father? You know, I was uh, it was it was just it's just been wonderful for me to be part of that show. All right, well that that's great, and uh, again, a wonderful cast. Peter Boyle, who who was so wonderful, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's on TV Land every night, and of course, my wife and I we we always love to watch it reruns. But now let's talk a little bit about the 1969 Mets before I let you go, Art, because I mean, look, that's uh, you know, for me, I was a kid in the '80s, so for me, the Mets that I associated with were the '86 Mets. But then you learn about who the 69 Mets were and what, you know, made the Mets so special. And so, you know, in 68, like you mentioned, the franchise had losing seasons every year. And then you come in in 69, you know, you guys struggled in the doldrums of the summer and then came up after that. What was the difference between that 68 and 69 team? And what was it like when that run started? Well, we had a great manager in Gil Hodges and guys were having just really good years. Uh, um, Cleon Jones at 340 that year. Tom Seaver, of course, was great. And Jerry Kuzman and um, Don Clendon. And I mean, you could go down the whole lineup. And But really, the, the, the whole change for us happened in 68, my first year over there, when they hired Gil Hodges as manager. Gil was a no-nonsense, um, tough manager, ex-Marine, great player with the Dodgers in the 40s and 50s and had a great career. And he just was no-nonsense. And he he used to tell us, you know, you guys know how to lose. You just got to find ways to win. And that doesn't mean one to nothing, two to one games. Find ways to win 10 to nine, eight to seven. And he was right. And he kind of taught us the, the, the ways to win. He was a guy that managed by steel, got everybody involved uh, all the way down at the end of the bench. Everybody knew that what their, what their job was. And he got the most out of everybody. And, and uh, to his credit, I think they would have won Mets would have won more World Series, more championships if he would have not passed away at a relatively young age. But Gil was really the reason we we turned it around, and and guys just had really good years. It was tough to repeat back then. We didn't. We finished, I think, third in the National League in 1970. But the reality of it was that we just had a great combination of players and found ways to win. That was a really big difference. And and uh, from about the middle of. Um, July, I would say we started to play better, and we were still nine games behind the Cubs in the National League East in August, and all of a sudden we became unbeatable. 
and um, again swept a, a terrific Atlanta Braves team that had Henry Henry Aaron and um, uh, Rico Cardi, Filippo Lou. I think um, I'm trying to think of all the guys on that team, but they had a great team. They didn't have the pitching that we had, and then we beat the uh, Orioles in that uh, World Series. I have the distinction of making the last out of the first game. That was the only game we lost. Everybody thought we were going to lose four in a row, and we came back. We won the next day, and we came back to New York one and one, and then the rest is history. We won the next three, and all of our lives changed that October 16th, 1959 day, and, and I'm still talking about it with wonderful people like yourself and baseball fans. But, you know, it's, it's, Tim, it's it's one of the few teams in the history of baseball that you can you can talk about 55 years later. I, I you know I don't know many teams that will be remembered like that, and it's for, for a number of reasons. Very quickly, it's about what was going on in the city and the country and the world at that time in the late 60s with the war in Vietnam and city of New York was going under. But it was uh, just a terrible time. We're in a world that's upside down now for, for sure, but back then it was really a tough time and. And the other thing is the Mets were so bad in those early years, they were known as the lovable losers. And and so what we did is we changed that perception. And some people have passed that on from generation to generation. And kids who weren't even born know about that team from their parents and their grandparents. And everybody wants to know about certain things that happened that year. Uh, um, you know, the black cat coming on the field, Tom Seaver's almost perfect game. Steve Carlton striking out 19 against us and us winning the game four to three. Um, you know, just things like that and how we turn it around. They still, they might've heard some stories, but they want to hear them again. They want to hear your version of it. And for me, being able to do all these personal appearances up in New York and down here, for me, it's great. And so, so I really enjoy it. It keeps me out there. And, and like I said in, earlier, I'm working on a third book I've written too. And I don't know if you know this, but more books have been written about that 69 Met team than any sports team in history. Seriously, you might have written more books. So many people might have written more books about, say, the Yankees generally. But that team has had more books written about them than any sports team in history. And um, I've written two and now I'm working on a third one. So so uh, so, you know, because you, you know, sports and Met history. But a lot of people talk about that year weren't even born, like I said because that team was so special. And still, 55 years later, we're still talking about 1969. Yeah, and people just have to go and look at that roster. I mean, what was it like watching Cy Young Award winner Tom Seaver, a young Nolan Ryan? I mean, you guys, not only did you have great hitters, that pitching staff had to be something to behold. Well, it was a great pitching staff. Seaver was as good as anybody. And that was, a, that was an era that had great pitchers in baseball, particularly in the National League. Uh, Tom was a terrific pitcher, and uh, his career certainly uh, shows that. It was, I think history will show he's one of the best pitchers ever. And Jerry Kuzman um, was this number two pitcher on that team, never really got the credit he deserved because he was really a, a stopper. Uh, I tell people, if you if you needed a game, you had to win a game, you could flip a coin to either Seaver or Kuzman and be comfortable with either one of them. And then we had uh, Gary Gentry, and uh, Tug McGraw and Nolan Ryan uh, on that team. And we had great pitching. We had terrific defense. Um, Jerry Grody behind the plate, Bud Harrelson at short, Boswell, Weiss second, and Tommy Agee in center. A lot of people discount the defense we had up the middle. And that's how we won a lot of close games between pitching and defense. And that's how it's the same today. Pitching and defense are so important and timely hitting. And we had that. And, and um, I think for me, being able to go out and talk to people like yourself and being able to remember that period of time and, 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 and talk about the, 
how it changed all of our lives. I've done, you know, Tim, I've done so many things over the years because I was on that team. I've been on so many shows and did so many things. And yeah, I, I'm so thankful that I was part of it. Uh, you, you, you end up having a legacy because you were part of that team. And for me, I'm so thankful about it. Now, and I love how the details of that, even though it's what, 55 years ago, are still just so vivid in your mind. I mean, it's like every detail is there. And, and I think that that's so cool that, you know, you are, you're, that's one of the most recognizable historic teams in baseball. And, you know, j- just one more question about the 69 Mets. You're going into that World Series. That Baltimore Orioles team was a murderer's row of future Hall of Famers, big bats, great pitchers, just insane. Was your team loose kind of going into that thinking, hey, they're the ones with something to lose? Or were you guys, you know, what was the the feel in the clubhouse going into that series? And when did you feel you were going to win it? Well, we knew we had a good team. There's no doubt about that. We we, we won that National League East going away and and uh, we felt very comfortable, of course, because of the pitching and defense. And again, the time we hitting, um, we were playing uh, in the playoffs. That was the first year of the playoffs in '69. Uh, uh, we we played, um, we won the National League, and Atlanta Braves won the National League West. And they had a terrific team, uh, as I mentioned those names before. They didn't have the pitching we had, and we swept them in three games. I had a really good series that uh, um, uh, that against the Braves. Um, I don't know, I said five thirty eight seven hits and 13 at bats. It was great series for me. But uh, when we started, when we began to play against the, uh, the Orioles, we knew they were a terrific team. And I had played with Frank Robinson in Cincinnati, who, who uh, was their right fielder and, and uh, was a star on their team along with Brooks Robinson and, and Boog Powell and, and Paul Blair in center field, and Don Buford. I mean, they had a really terrific team uh, and they could match us with pitching. They had two 20 game winners that year. But even when we lost the first game and Tom Seaver got beat, I actually made the last out of that first game. And, and again, I think uh, people thought we were going to lose the next four in a row. But Jerry Kuzman pitched a great game on Sunday and got a great save from Ron Taylor, who was one of our pitchers. And we came back to New York one and one. Again, people thought, for the most part, I believe we were going to lose the next three. And that was the third game with, um, with um, Jim Palmer against Gary Gentry, and everybody thought we were going to get blown away. We won that game. Then Seaver won the next game with a great catch by Ron Svoboda in right field, and then Kuzman won the clincher on that Thursday, October 16th. Uh, We knew we were good. We knew we were going into it. Uh, All we needed was a break or two, and we got some breaks. There's no doubt about it. But uh, we had a a great team, very competitive team, again, led by a a great manager in Gil Hodges. So, uh, I guess the uh, long-winded answer there, but I think we all felt that we could compete with anybody. And, and even though we lost that first game in the World Series, I think with Jerry Kuzman pitching the second game, we felt comfortable, and, and the rest is history. And, uh, you know, what's interesting about that, uh, uh, Tim, is that uh, I had a, a long conversation. One of the books I wrote, I interviewed Jim Palmer, who pitched the third game in the World Series, and we beat him that game. And he said, you know, we had a great team, and if we win that World Series, because they won the next year in 70, they won the World Series. He said, if we win that game, that series in 69, we're known as one of the great teams of that era. Turns out we beat them, and, and even though they had a great team, they weren't, they didn't get that kind of title of being this wonderful team. They had a great team, but because they, they lost to us, it, it changed their whole perception of them, but they did have a great team. Yeah, plus Miracle Orioles doesn't have the ring of Miracle Mets, so 
Worked worked out better that you guys won that one. You mentioned Gil Hodges. One of your bench coaches was baseball legend Yogi Berra. Did he have any fun things to say after you guys win? He's he's known for his quotes. Well, you know what happened when I got traded over there. Yogi was uh, was one of my heroes. I grew up in St. Louis, and Yogi was from St. Louis, and I he had had so many great years as a catcher with the uh, the Yankees, and now he's a coach with the Mets. And I thought he was. Um, I was told he was our hitting coach, but I. I tell people today in the years I was over there, Yogi never once ever talked to us about hitting. He was more of just the first base coach. And, uh, but, um, all the stories you hear about Yogi are true. All those things the Yogiisms are all true. He was, um, a wise man who was few words, but he, uh, whatever he said was, uh, was very profound. And I, uh, had a wonderful time with him. Uh, even though he never talked to me about hitting, although he did one time, I did say to him, Tim, Yogi, I'm struggling a little bit. What should I do? He just said, well, see it and hit it. And that was it. That was all he said. And uh, that was a hitting instruction he gave me. But uh, to be part of a team that he's on and, and um, you know, be part of that, that era with him was, was great for me. Yeah, and I used to, an editor I used to work for was Yogi's nephew, and he had great Yogi stories, and he had some of the coolest baseball memorabilia that I think I've ever seen. So, you know, definitely a legend. So, Art, before I let you go, you know, you talk about you've got a book coming out, you're going to be in spring training, you're traveling around, you're making appearances. Sounds like you're pretty busy. You up to anything else you want to get in front of people and and tell them where they can find you, because we can find Art Shamsky all over the place. Well, thank you very much, Tim. Yeah, I'm busy. I just want to stay visible. I'm working on this third book. Uh, um, I don't have a title yet, but uh, hopefully it'll be out sometime in early 2025. Uh, um, they can get me by going to my website, artshamsky.com. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a site where I have uh, some memorabilia, but also I have email. And if anybody's interested in me uh, speaking at their uh, function or wanting to have me uh, get in front of a group or or dinner or breakfast or lunch uh, with a group, uh, just contact me through the website. And, uh, and um, I've got uh, great stories to tell and great memories to pass on. And, and um, I think people will enjoy it. So um, I appreciate you making that um, opportunity for me to be able to pass that uh, email address out. Uh, yeah, it's really info at artshamsky.com, but it's on my website. And um, I appreciate that, Tim, very much. Yeah, and can people find you on Twitter or other places like that and what your handle might be? Yeah, it's Arshansky on Twitter, which is now X, of course, and I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm, you know, Tim, it's, I really just want to stay visible. I just want to, to you know, as I've gotten older and uh, and people say, why don't you just take it easy? For me, it's taking it easy is staying busy, if that makes any sense. But um, I, I think part of that has to do with people I've met over the years. The enthusiasm from fans who just want to, talk to you about being part of that team. Again, uh, you know, we've lost uh, about 14 guys from that team, some really uh, important parts of that team. And, and a lot of guys who were very young at the time, uh, Tug McGraw, Tommy Agee, of course, Gil Hodges, all the coaches, uh, Don Clendenin is gone. Uh, but you know what, what, what I get excited is when somebody that comes up to me and just says, I remember at 6 or my dad and grandfather told me about it. And you know, what's really, really, Wonderful for me is when somebody who was in the service, they were in Vietnam at the time, and they're still around, and they come and just, I want to say thank you. I just want to say thanks for making me feel better about the work, being in the worst place in the world at the time. And when I heard about you guys um, winning and or being in the World Series, I, I just, it made me feel a lot better. I tell you, 
you can't beat that. If you can make somebody feel better about their life, that you've done something in your life, there's nothing better than that. So for me, staying busy and, and, and being able to talk about 1969 and other years also, um, I've got some great stories about that, great memories. And I played in an era that um, I know you're, you can appreciate this. I, I, I tell people I played, I think, in the greatest era of, of baseball, particularly in the National League in the 60s and 70s. So many great players, Mays, Aaron, Clemente, Stargell, McCovey, all the great pitchers, Colfax, Drysdale, Marichal, Perry, Ferguson, Jenkins, Seaver, Jim Bunning, all in the Hall of Fame. So for me to be part of that era and part of the Dixie Mets is very special. And I, I'm so grateful to people like yourself who remember that and give me a chance to, to say hello and, and able to, to connect with people. That to me is very, very important. Yeah, I think every name you just said made my smile get bigger and bigger. And it also made me wish I, w- I could have had baseball cards back from that era. But Art, it- it's been wonderful talking to you. I do appreciate you sharing all your stories. I'm glad you're still out there doing great things. And, you know, people go out there when it is ready, buy his book. Because as you just heard from this interview, uh, just incredibly interesting with wonderful stories to tell. Art, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Tim. Good luck to you and uh, enjoy spring training. All right. Thank you. And that will do it for another episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters, and to quote the aforementioned Yogi Berra, Little League Baseball is a very good thing because it keeps the parents off the streets. If only the parents could behave at their kids' Little League games. Thanks for listening, and join me again next time.